Hey everyone, welcome to the Opera Sky podcast. My name is Ricardo Monegas and I will be your host. On this podcast, we would like to share valuable knowledge, lessons learned, and stories from entrepreneurs, investors, and managers while running their businesses. We strive to ask the right questions and discover insight from our guests so you can apply them in your business and life right after each episode. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us. Today we are going to talk with Sasha Ligman. She is the founder of Tech2Impact, which is a community supporting impact-driven startups in how to grow and fundraise capital to, to their progress. So she's doing an incredible work and hopefully we can talk more about their details, the details of her company and what is the progress she's helping to to support these startups. Welcome, Sasha. How are you? Thank you, Ricardo. Pleasure to be here. I'm excited. It might be interesting conversation. It might be. I'm pretty sure it's going to be interesting conversation. So thank you for having me. <laughs> Good. Thanks for joining us, of course. And just to start, uh, what? How do you? How do you define yourself? Uh, what, what do you do in your everyday life? Let's say. I would say, in short, I define myself as a global citizen. I think that's also one of the biggest truths why Tech to Impact was founded. And as a global citizen, I truly care deeply about how we leave our, our planets to our kids and grandkids and in general how we leave our life as society. And I think one big defining thing for me is that I not just care about how I will go through it, but I deeply care about how everything is around is flowing and if it's actually on the right track. So, And then maybe that's why uh, one of my favorite sustainable development goals is number 10, <laughs> was reduced inequality. So I would call myself a global citizen who is trying to do her best <laughs> to make sure that the world is in the right place. Okay, understood. So, um, is Tech to Impact your first company you have started, or how is it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's my first venture. <laughs> I never pictured myself as an entrepreneur, and even still, when people are calling me one, I'm like, no, no, I'm not running a startup. It's a, it's a company, it's a network, and it's an ecosystem. And I was like, no, but it's still like a startup. It's your venture. And yeah, I didn't. I never planned to be an entrepreneur. I always imagined myself for working for some other organizations. But there is a point in life when you see that, okay, you can actually pull off something yourself. And you get very fired up to do that. And then you start, and you're like, oops, <laughs> what did I just do? Um, so I think that's definitely how it was unplanned. But yeah, it's my first venture. Okay, thanks. And how, how would you define what is tech to impact to someone who hasn't heard of it before? So. <laughs> Sure, happy to do so. So, of course, there's a lot of um, confusion sometimes happening with this type of businesses because it's, uh, are you guys network, are you community, are you accelerator? Well, to be frank, we're all, all together in one. That's why we call ourselves a digital hub. So Tech to Impact itself, it's a global digital hub, which is a hybrid between a network um, and acceleration program aimed to support impact-driven tech ventures uh, to grow and to multiply their impact so we all can enjoy a better world together. Okay, yeah, sounds good. And how, what is for you an impact-driven startup? How do you define it if that's something possible? Because, oh, of course, of it's course. really broad. Uh, <laughs> Area, you know what? I, think, I think I'm a fan of simplicity and I always say that the impact driven ventures are the ventures who pick the right problem and I'm always saying this way because they're as same as entrepreneurs as any other in the ecosystem. They fight the same, same battles of product market fed, business model and everything. It's just the problem they decided to solve is a bit of more bigger than they are themselves for their community or even let's say starting with their community so they're thinking beyond profit only, but not discouraging it, of course. Um, so they are the ones who are fixing the right problem with a business model around it. Um, and this is the ventures we are working with in a more 
practical term, uh, we are using the Sustainable Development Goals framework because it's a more known agenda globally uh, communicated to different stakeholders. Started from UN, right? Established in 2015, and now it's used pretty much in all the aspects of business, government, and society. So that's why we picked this framework, and this is how we evaluate the impact um, of ventures themselves. Do they actually address any of the SDGs? If yes, and if it's clearly visible that it's proactively addressed, you know, not like, oh, we are planting ten trees for 10% of our profit, but actually proactively addressing this issue, then they are the right fit for us. Okay, understood. And how do you arrive to work into this industry or, or part of business? Uh, yeah, uh, it's a bit of a complicated story, let's say this way. Um, <laughs> I used to work uh, for a long time for an organization called ISEC. Um, I guess our listeners hopefully will, will have heard about it before. If not, if you're young, go check it out. It's one of the best places to be as a young person. Um, it's a youth organization, it's a youth leadership movement, which was founded after Second World War. Um, and it's aimed to push this whole global citizen concept through leadership development, through culture exchange. So I'm originally from Ukraine, that's where I started. And I used to work there next to university um, and then somehow ended the national team in, on the, in Ukraine and then had opportunity to come to Austria for one year to work here too. So I think as an NGO itself, I had a lot of connections to understanding different problems worldwide in terms of where people are looking for volunteers, right? whether it's education or climate or other things. So you learn a lot and it also gives you a lot of uh, responsibility and zero budget, let's <laughs> say this way, as in any NGO. And so you learn a lot and I think that's also why, one of the reasons why for me impact was never a question of oh this is nice to have it was always a must and then I landed in the startup ecosystem quite accidentally never planned it because my education is in Japanese philology so it has nothing to do with innovation but I really like project management and ISA gave me a lot of expertise there too and I landed in one of the startups and that was where I got into startup scene so I had a lot of work with accelerators incubators investors and I think, you know, this narrative of impact as a nice to have or impact is, oh, it's a niche or it's not something which goes hand in hand with business was something I was brainwashed over the last five years un until I realized that it's actually not true. It's just a very wrong misperception we have in the tech ecosystem globally, actually. Of course, now it's better. It's way better now with climate tech moving further. Unfortunately, it was COVID influence and impact of it. Uh, but that was the reason why we, I found the tech to impact in the first place, because for me, it, it clicked, you know, inside, oh, that actually makes more sense, because it's not about impact being on top, it's just a question of which problem you're solving. Um, and I had a chance to launch an accelerator while being part of a gross marketing agency, uh, which was aimed as a CSR small project, but actually opened up to me the world of impact tech and the actual tech businesses who address the relevant issues and solve relevant problems and have business model around it. So they just need the right expertise and to scale. So that's why our first product in Tech to Impact was a mentorship program, um, because I realized that this can be scaled globally, can be virtual, and they just need the right people around to help those cool folks. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. how I arrived there. Yeah, sounds great. So just a bit of comment about ISEC. Yes, for if you're listening and you're a student, you can find ISEC in yeah, maybe local committees in your universities. And it's a really nice place to be. I was part of ISEC as well in Venezuela. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and actually, that was the main reason why I came to Prague as, with an internship as well. So <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, so... I, it's really un interesting all your story and how you arrived to start working with impact tech driven startups. Um, but I see that you are doing a lot of different stuff, right? Like an acceleration program, managing the community. And of course, I assume other thousands stuff. So how do you manage your day? So how does it work? Or what is your role and all this stuff? <laughs> well, I think you will hear this from me today a lot. I'm very lucky person. I have a wonderful team. Um, it started with few people and now we're 12. And the structure, structure, and again, structure is the only thing which helps us to run this whole thing and really clear responsibilities and no limitations in terms of tracking. 
Um, for my side, the day, it usually starts with me checking Slack, where our community is, to make sure that everyone is answered and if there are any popping questions. Uh, then hopping directly into the email, of course, because there's usually a lot of inboxes. You're running a global network. Some people go to sleep, some people wake up all the way in the US. <laughs> so there's a lot of things happening in my email inbox, usually ongoingly. Um, and of course, usually during the day, I would have a bunch of calls either, either with investors who are joining our network or our team to coordinate how we're doing with reach out and things like that or support our folks with marketing activities so it's a lot of working with the team um, if I would be doing it alone I would never be able to pull it out so it's just too big of a machine <laughs> already in this point to do it alone so I think that would be shortly how we do that okay got it got it and in tech to impact how are you running as well your business model so if someone wants to create a community out of for audience how would you recommend for them to start a community <laughs> well first recommendation to anyone planning to launch a network or community good luck <laughs> that's not an easy task it sounds very cute and funny when you work start to work on it but then when you try to make a business out of it you understand what you got yourself into um It's a challenging thing to do. Um, it's also very rewarding, right? When you're actually able to connect people with each other and something great pops out, out of it, it's wonderful. Like we had a recently use case which almost made me cry where we had um, in our acceleration program. So one of our members um, had a mentor um, and then this mentor got them into another acceleration program where they actually landed in Vienna to pitch where our Olga, who is program lead, was a jury member. So it's like a full cycle of connection, which was not planned, you know. So you never know, like that's the beauty of, of networking and connections. You never know what will go out of it. And that's what I love the most about it. Uh, but definitely what would be my recommendation when it comes to business model, um, be agile, honestly. There is, it's not a very stable product. It's not so like a SaaS product where you have a clear service as a system, right, a model and things like that, um, which is not exactly how we have it. So we tried a lot of things and we are still trying to be fair. I cannot say to you that, yes, we are all set. We are having a sustainable business model. It's all great. Completely not. We are trying different things and introducing different products. But one thing definitely, which I would say to community managers, community itself would never be your cash cow. Um, memberships are a very rare thing, which actually paying off. And it's usually always the add-on products or the other style of products which you do. So as soon as you actually accept that community is your strengths and your leverage and your big pool of people you're working with, um, but not your revenue stream, then your life will be a bit easier because then you realize, okay, what can I do? How can I try out things? And this is where we started playing around with our uh, mentorship program, which we actually are turning into acceleration model. Uh, and also introducing investors network to actually facilitate the, the funding rounds and things like that. So that's where we are playing around um, while also looking into other things like Academy, which we are planning to do next year for responsible technology and actually doing different paid workshops to our corporate partners um, or accelerator partners to help them to define their impact. Um, so there is a lot of things, right? I cannot, I cannot tell you, like, this is our one business model. No, like when you're on an ecosystem or network, you're feeding yourself from different pots. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not going to work, unfortunately. Okay, okay, I got it. And how do you define your strategy to achieve this? So you try different models every three months or something like that or, Oof, or you just um, you don't not have three a months <laughs> <laughs> not three months no it's too short to make any decisions no no, no. It, it was evolving to be honest in the beginning we were talking about corporate innovation but when we launched it was COVID so we realized immediately that we need to accept that the first year uh, we would have zero money incoming because it's COVID right so but then as soon as we started doing our mentorship program we realized how much fundraising gap is there in terms of startups knowledge and support and also despite by the fact that there is tons of deal flow going back and forth, right? The, the quality deal flow is a big issue both for investor and startup. And that's where we introduced a fundraising membership, which is actually focused on helping startups to raise while also having our own investor network, which is also a business model by itself. Um, so for example, we don't charge startups upfront for anything, but there is only success fee basis, either through fundraising, either introduction to investors or through acceleration program. Now, if we help them to raise, we deserve a cut, right? So that's a fair business model we introduced uh, while also 
playing around with the other side, of course, corporates still, as they're going sort of back to life when it comes to budget and helping them out with impact-driven innovation um, and looking more into responsible technologies. So these are the things which are playing fields. If you ask me, I would love to focus on one. <laughs> That's why we want to validate this in the next year, two years, and then be like, okay, this is our focus. This is what's working out. So, so far, I can't tell you what exactly is working out. It's always trial and error. Yeah, understood. Yeah, so it's, as you said, be agile and, and test different concepts. <laughs> yep, try it out and listen to the, to the customer. I think this is something which was one of my biggest learning. I didn't expect, for example, one of our products completely popped up out of nowhere, uh, where we were invited to do a workshop for one of the accelerators, paid workshop on helping them, helping their startups to define their impact model. And then we realized it's actually a very demanded product. And this is what we're introducing next year as a paid product to any accelerator incubator out there to actually help their startups in a simple way, you know, because all the impact measurement topic is such a mystery for people who are not in this space. And they think it's like, oh my God, I will need to spend money on consultants for years to fix it up, which is not true at all. Um, and that's where a lot of accelerators are actually asking us now to help out with that, which didn't completely wasn't our plan at all. It just popped up. So you never know. Just be open to opportunities coming up. Okay, sounds good. And in this journey, uh, do you have any specific failure that you consider the biggest one till now? And what did you learn from it or something like that? Oof, <laughs> oof. <laughs> Do, do, do we have like two hours for this podcast? <laughs> no, no, I think it's just too soon to, to call the big failures because we're only running for one and a half year, which honestly sounds like full five <laughs> based on how much things we went through in the last almost two years. Um, I think one of my main learning is very much connected to the team um, and to listening to your gut feeling because, you know, we're very used to Oh, if something doesn't work, give person another chance and another chance and then talk with them and have another feedback round and another feedback round. It's not smart. I did that because I do believe in people and I try my best to still, you know, be nice to them and things like that. But I realized that it's a very good example when it comes to, you know, this, this image where you have two um, apples and one of them is rotten and eventually all of them will be this way. So that's what I realized. It's not about people not having skills. You can always teach people, help them grow, but the attitude and the mentality is what makes Apple rotten or not. So for example, I do have a fantastic team, but it took a while to get there, right? And in the beginning, I would have a people who are a bit of slackers, you know, in terms of, oh, I will do a bit less or a bit less there, or I would not do something on time. And then I started noticing the behavior replicating in other people because it was acceptable by me as a founder. Why, like, why they should work their ass off where someone else is not. And when I noticed that, we started making a decision of, okay, look, it's not working out. We will figure it out. So I think that's one of the biggest, I would not call it a failure, but learnings. Yeah, I mean, eventually, of course, it influenced us negatively, but it made a lot of things easier right now when it comes to decision making, when it comes to team. I would always say have less people, but the people who are A-game people, and it doesn't mean that they know everything or they have years of experience, but attitude is what matters. Actually, it's the only thing which matters. <laughs> Good. So they need to have passion for the subject and also like it's to a, learn like, more. Look, learn. Let's see this way. We are all doing it on a volunteer basis, right? So I, as a team leader, need to understand that they are dedicating their free time to this, which is my venture, yes. But for us, it was never like, oh, we are working for Sasha, right? Or we are working for her venture. The thing is that how we set up the team is that it's, I'm usually involving them in 90% of decisions, maybe not making them in the end, but I'm always trying to distribute smaller decisions between the team and the major decisions which are made, okay, we are going with this business model, that business model are usually the team is in. So they are not, you know, interns or something like that. They're people who are shaping tech to impact in what it is right now. And I always know that if I cannot yet pay these people, I want to make sure that there is learning for them, network and experience, which they can take with them further. And to make this happen, you really need to have the right people around. So that's why we're always trying to be transparent here. Understood. And you mentioned in your conversation part of that you started during COVID-19's uh, beginnings, let's say. So yeah. um, how, 
how did you adapt to this situation? So you said that corporate innovation wasn't working, of yeah, course, in that time. So, so, mm -hmm. so you passed to fundraising, right? And not per se connected. I would tell you this way. It's not connected to COVID. Um, let's say this way. We wanted to, we started working on this before, of course, but we planned to launch, I think, in March or April way before it was still winter 2019 or beginning of 2020 winter and we were on the try track and then COVID hits right so there was a decision between our team do we pause and wait until it's okay or do we do something about it and after some consideration and talking with our like more experienced friends they said to us well it's actually the perfect time because it, exactly now where entrepreneurs need help guide mentoring to navigate this mess And this is where we said, okay, we consciously understand that the business model we planned for it won't work. So let's just go with it, release all our free services to startups and do the program and dedicate our time to actually com commit to support of entrepreneurs during these crazy times and then see how it goes. Um, and that's why we let go the corporate innovation as a focus for some time. And now it's coming back eventually as a possibility and opportunity. Um, and the fundraising thing was never planned. It just popped up after first and second batch. We realized, okay, this is actually needed and we should focus on it. And that's where I think another big learning from my side comes to. Like, you can plan as much as you want, but then the, the market tells you what they actually need. So being able to adapt to it is what, is, what matters. Um, so I cannot say to you that COVID influenced um, how we work. It did help us in terms of people being remote, and we didn't need to convince people to do things online because they had no choice. Uh, which is a very sad thing, but I think it's also helped a lot of digital businesses in mm -hmm. the future. Um, but for us, COVID was rather a booster to go for it and, and not wait for it. I'm very happy we didn't wait. Imagine still waiting. <laughs> That will be so sad. Yeah, I think you will be able to. You won't be able to measure the timing of everything, right? So you need just to start. <laughs> need to go for it and then regret it <laughs> no i'm kidding i didn't regret it i'm just kidding <laughs> okay um so in this journey you mentioned okay you have been supporting several startups so uh, do you have a, a specific case that you can remark of your that you are more proud of or oh this is like choosing between your favorite kids it's not fair <laughs> uh, well okay so <laughs> I can change the question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can tell you this way. We are more than 250 startups right now as a membership. Uh, out of them, we support it even deeper. So besides ongoing support through connections and education, knowledge and network itself and showcasing them, which we do for all of them all the time, um, we accelerated uh, through our two mentorship programs around 60 startups in the last one and a half year. Um, well, a lot of them managed to close their rounds, which we're very proud of them. Um, I think, to be fair, you know what's my biggest happiness in terms of achievement is the mindset switch we did. Uh, we wanted startups to not be the running dog after money, but actually to understand that they need to focus on their business and to understand that investors are the ones who should be chasing them. It took us a while, but when we actually, um, when we got the right mantras for it, people who are coming from the investment space who actually explained, you know, there is so much capital and there is that less uh, great ideas to invest in. And I think one of the, my most pride moments was in the, in the closing of the mentorship program when one of the startups said, you know what, I think the narrative switched for me and I know what I need to do. And a lot of them pivoted, a lot of them started having different conversations with investors and I'm really happy that I'm not taking any more any sorry for my language BS when it comes to investors term sheets and things like that and they're actually focusing on their business and what they would want from the investors versus just getting any money for the sake of getting it and then we have lots of mission drift startups so I'm really happy that we managed to support ours to think differently and to stay true to their cause okay so in that journey you see that Potentially, there are some most common issues. Do you think the most common issues is that people believe that the startup should be uh, chasing the investors and only the money? Oh, no, or, no, no, no. Or how no, do you see it? the biggest issue. Mm. Let's say this way. I think the biggest problem startups are facing impact tech startups pretty much are the same than any other startup <laughs> what's my business model what's my product market fit how is the product going to be developed it's also so simple right i think the only 
cherry on top for impact tech ventures is their conscious question to, them, to themselves, I'm, am I actually creating an impact? I think that's the biggest struggle because um, measuring it, quantifying it, defining it is okay. It's not like an end of the world, but it's not the easiest thing to do either. Um, and I think these are the sort of, especially for startups who are in impact space, to understand, okay, how do I, to whom do I go was my impact tech venture, not to have a mission drift, right? Because if they go to in regular venture capital investor who has no interest whatsoever in terms of being flexible and adaptable and they have their deadlines then startups are facing the issues like should i compromise the impact i can create and focus on some completely target audience differently so i can get this venture capital to invest in me or what should i do and i'm very happy to see now more venture capital firms looking into things differently because in the end of the day, it's not about we need a return in five years, but you can have a triple or four times, five times more return if you wait a bit longer, right? So that's where I think World Fund is a wonderful example. I'm so happy they launched. It's a gigantic climate tech fund. And the way the founders talk about it, they say we're focused on hardware, which is usually one of the rarest thing at investment because, oh my God, hardware will never scale as fast as the software. Um, and things like that. I think this is where for startups who are going in deep tech or impact tech or in general trying to make a difference by going the harder route, this is where the ch real, ch real challenge comes in. Uh, because everything else is a similar challenge to any other startup. But for this, the folks who are now trying to, uh, to address the bigger issues, um, there is, you know, they are, they are fast in terms of switching narrative, but the other side is not as fast as it should be. And, you know, if you look on the capital allocation um, the whole investment in impact is less than five percent which is ridiculous if you ask me and i do believe we don't need another fintech app for blockchain or crypto blockchain crypto trading and things like that there is enough <laughs> of it right or we don't need another dating or food delivery platform and all of those things which gets investment which i understand it's a wonderful business opportunity but the other things which you are just stigmatized by the word impact and you don't even look into it, not even analyzing the gigantic business opportunity there. And I think David from World Fund was giving a statistic that now after an amount of years, the climate tech investment are giving X amount of more return, but longer span of it, but it's way more, right? So it's just us who needs still to change the investment narrative. And it takes time, but it's getting better. I can definitely tell you that it's definitely getting better than it used to be five years ago. Yeah, yeah. I personally see it as well since I was going to several events in Europe and of course before you didn't see any conversation about impact tech let's say or anything and now there are most of the events has uh, even stages just focusing into impact driven companies right mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> good um, well, I think you already answered some of my questions here about funding, but maybe I can we can go deeper into it. So if you see, um, so it, as we were mentioning before, right? So we see that there has been a progress in more than 10 years or something like that, how, how the impact is more a typical subject that I think a lot of people is talking about, even people who wasn't in the in the environment before, in the ecosystem. So how do you see this progress in Europe or in Vienna, for example, or how do you see um, that now is something more balanced or do you still believe a lot of the companies are just more funding, as you said, the food delivery companies or <laughs> and so on? Well, if so. you look on overall location, it's better, but not great. <laughs> say this way um, I think um, um, there is a very interesting fact that I think around one dollar of VC money is allocated to impact if you would pay like if you will pick hundred dollars right so um, I think in general if we look on the ecosystem and if you check uh, folks by the way if you're listening to us check the deal room um, collaboration of state state of Europe tech report it's a wonderful report with a lot of information on that and for example there um, they interviewed investors and they said that more than 48% of interviewees are considering that climate positive or um, sustainability is going to be a hot topic in upcoming years, uh, more than, you know, fintech even or crypto and things like that. 
while also that they, in general that they are more likely to invest in sustainability. But if you ask me, I think we also misunderstand a lot the hype. Of course, climate change is a big issue and it's come, coming and hitting us in our, in our issue on a daily basis and we just don't see it now because it's not in our phrase right or, or for example what happened to germany in summer right it's it's all oh, it's here oh my god yes it's not super far away and now we understand the climate change a bit more uh, and it's getting better but i think one of the my bigger concerns when it comes to climate change investment is that a lot of investors overlook how climate change is directly collect, connected to social change and how many things need to be fixed there Right. We had a very interesting discussion with David from um, Unisocial Business, which is also a wonderful organization addressing social innovation um, in Germany when we were speaking at the Palander Conference, that people don't understand that uh, deforestation of Brazil, for example, is not because people just can't wait to cut trees, but because economically they cannot find the alternative. And if we don't solve social issues when it comes to economic prosperity or education or other things like that, it's going to keep on happening. <laughs> um, so there is a lot of conversations which we are dis discussing with uh, over investors and entrepreneurs in terms of, okay, climate tech, yes, please, investors, so much needs to be done to reduce CO2. But don't neglect the other things because we will just be running and chasing a tail of ourselves all of the time. So I think... In a nutshell, it's getting better 100%. And unfortunately, COVID itself um, and climate change and the fact that we talk about it, it's fantastic. And I think it's going to do a lot of justice compared before. And it's, it's, you know, it's very interesting because I was talking with one of the impact investors who are good friends of ours, Ananda Ventures. And they were like, oh, Sasha, you can just drop this whole making impact tag the new norm, which is our mission. Uh, because it's already a new norm, right? And then a few hours later, I have a conversation with the conference in US, uh, who where we were speaking in the panel, and they ask us, "Oh, guys, did you did you create SDGs?" And you're like, "Oh no, <laughs> if you don't know who did it, then we have issues, right?" So this, there is a bubble where we are in the impact tech space, and it seemed to be like, "Oh, this is so much growing and everything," but if you look on overall span of capital where it goes, it's still not there. Um, but it's promising, let's say this way. I think we're getting there. It's, I think it's easier for me now to pitch tech to impact to other people because I don't need to explain why impact is not niche or why impact is not non-profit, but it's still taste. Mm -hmm. Good. And do you see any uh, in your network of investors and are they as well concerned about what is happening in the emerging markets? Like, as you mentioned, of course, they are having they are problems. Not yet. <laughs> okay, got it. Nope. Mm -mm, not okay. yet. I think, let's say this way, it's baby steps, right? Uh, we have investors who still want to invest in Europe. Um, and it's okay because it's our focus for the next half a year in the next region we are going for. It's going to be MIA, Middle East and Africa. Um, and it's fine. It's completely fine that they want to invest locally. And it's not because they don't understand or they don't, don't care about emerging markets. It's just something which makes them feel more comfortable. Um, and emerging markets are riskier if you're not there, right? If you don't understand the local reality, right? You're from Venezuela, I'm from Ukraine, right? If you don't understand the local business, you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen there? My money is going to go to waste. And I don't blame them <laughs> because it's really not very stable. Uh, and it takes a bit more guts to do that and more understanding of the market. And I see a lot of bigger venture capital firms who really go into emerging markets. Uh, but when it comes to local or let's say European venture capital, they still prefer to invest in Europe. And it's also fine because there are so many issues we have in Europe which needs to be fixed, um, which is completely okay too. Yeah, I got it. But maybe uh, Tech to Impact can help into that bridging maybe in the future we are as on well. It. Right? We are on it. So we are slowly, steadily in our deals newsletter, we are putting all the deals from all the world to <laughs> be like, oh, it's interesting for you. Great. Let's connect them. Let's talk. Right? Yeah, because yeah. it's we also acting as a trust bridge, which is also a lot of pressure and responsibility because if you recommend a startup, it means that we stay behind them. right? So that's why we are quite vigilant in terms of our selection process to make sure that we don't have impact washing on green washing in our startups which don't get me wrong we had a lot of candidates for it <laughs> which we rejected who were claiming that they're impact and even arguing with us so you're like no you're not you're using it for marketing um so it, it's possible that we'll be able to to support in that but it's not the goal because it's realistically it's it's subjective it's based on people's decision okay understood and um, maybe 
a point here about you mentioned about social change right and how to make people change their behavior or well or there are a lot of of course uncertainties of course in the emerging markets that people that cannot afford to have another economic activities and of course that's more three difficult to solve let's say in the short term uh, but do you have any help to the startups uh, about how they should uh, help their customers or the users to change behavior because uh, for example in my in my day-to-day -day activities let's say I face problems to to inform people okay why they should do it differently because that uh, that is affecting you in the long term but of course they don't see it because they already doing something in certain way and they don't want to change so is this something of that you are helping the startups to tackle or how do you see it you know if we go into behavioral change mm -hmm. no but it's a very interesting topic and i think it's a good idea to look into it how to convince people in another way we do help them to communicate what they do and their message across more clear because i think that's where usually a lot of problems are before we even change the behavior because people are getting confused <laughs> what you actually do. Um, so this is one of the big part which we do, especially in our acceleration program, we polish our startups to be like, okay, the baby and the grandma needs to understand what you do, right? So that's uh, one of the things we definitely support them with. Uh, but in terms of behavior change, frankly, we haven't looked into this yet, but it's a very good idea. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> good. So yes, I bring you a new idea for a new product in 2022. <laughs> no, 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 sleep. <laughs> well, I think, well, in general, health needs to go first of course if not <laughs> if not you won't be able to help <laughs> the other startups neither right okay um so in this process of building tech to impact and of course uh, all these products and services that you are providing uh who mentors you what how do you get to the speed of learning and be on top of everything. Uh, do you have any mentors, institutions, books, podcasts, or resources that you follow? Or? Sure, yeah, I'm happy to recommend. Um, I think I can say that I have like a mentor, one person who is guiding me through it. I'm very lucky to be surrounded by a lot of wonderful entrepreneurs who happen to be my friends too. And they are further in the journey than I am. And I think this is, all, this is something which a lot of founders are underestimating is how much you can learn from actual founders, from, from the pain they went through and how to deal with that. So a good friend of mine, Tanya Sternbauer, she's running a fe the Female Factor, uh, which is a global female-led community for women professionals to get in leadership positions. And she's done her first venture. So, for example, whenever I talk to her she can relate to different struggles i'm going through even her business is a bit different and a bit different topic but i go to her and not because she's a mentor or someone but because someone who went through it and maybe she won't give me the advice i need but she will give me support and conversation i need because i think we underestimate the fact that sometimes we, we don't need a mentorship we just need a sparing partner to get our thoughts clear <laughs> and structured to make a decision uh, but in terms of knowledge well, let's say this way. There are two sources which I really enjoy uh, reading on a weekly, let's say, basis, on a daily basis. Um, one of them is Sifted. It's definitely, I think, in my personal opinion, it's the best European startup media we have. And I'm very happy to call them also our partners. And they became partners after I was following them for a long time. Um, and the content they provide and the, the way they bring up different topics, which are really interesting and unique, you learn a lot from them. So I'm really grateful for them because their own newsletters are important, you know, blah, blah. And all the articles they make are very useful, right? I was struggling, it's like, oh, we need business angels for a demo day. And then re they released two days after the article, 50 top business angels in sustainability. <laughs> um, so things like that. I mean, of course, it's coincidence, but um, it's really helpful to also build up a network and introduce different topics and uh, next to them i also like another of our partners and not not promoting but just happened to be our partner too uh dealroom 
I think they're wonderful as a platform itself um, and also especially as the knowledge space. Um, they have a very cool, interesting vertical of newsletter called Impact um, and they send really interesting data. Like the one I brought up a bit earlier today is from, from, their, from their newsletter. And it helps, right, because I don't have time to do data analysis and research and everything. And this type of pieces and puzzles help me and my team to be on the trend, right? If we see that um, food tech is getting super relevant in the Netherlands, okay, this is something I can give to my team to be like, let's look in the food tech startups and let's see an investment, see more food, food tech investors. Let's do it, right? So it's a bit of a more strategic decision-making versus, oh, let's just go and find impact tech startups, which we were doing for the first year, which was fine, but it's now more strategic. Um, so th these are definitely two sources I recommend to follow. And the book I always would recommend, um, and I think the book which changed my way of running the team and understanding how the people work, um, is the book actually from Netflix. Um, so there are two books. One of them is like a large version of Intro to the Topic, which is called The Powerful from their head of culture. And this, the one which really broke my mind in pieces and put it together, it's called you No know, Rules Rules. Um, it's about company culture and the way they build the team and how they run operations. And this is mind-blowing. I really recommend to every single founder to read it because then you start noticing how many irrelevant structures you have in place and how much people actually need freedom and responsibility to, to run the company in the best level. Um, I always believed in that, that okay, that you don't need to, to give your people guidance 100% what exactly they should do, but actually let them be creative and have a freedom and responsibility to do their work. Um, and this is what makes them grow, which is true, but it's something which I thought about before this book. But with this book, I got a clear guidance how to make this work, which I really recommend. It's wonderful. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, I am in the middle of well, listening to that book, yeah, all the oh, books, but, but yeah, but yeah, it's quite good. Yeah. Um, can can you mention some specific actions that you are taking thanks to that book, or how how do yeah, you deal with definitely. that? Yeah, definitely. Well, the first big thing is uh, feedback. We are used in overall, I think, as a humanity, not only Europe, to hold our negative thoughts or negative opinions. Uh, or feedback you want to give to people until there is a year review or something like that. And this is something which I'm practicing with my team, the whole 4A principle of giving feedback, which is um, based on actual 4As, two of them about giving and two of them about receiving feedback. The giving one, right, is that you actually aim to assist, that the feedback you're giving is not about you releasing your frustration, but actually helping person to grow. Um, and the, the second big A in this case is actionable, right? So you cannot just say, look, this design is shit. Well, <laughs> it didn't help. We didn't explain what exactly is wrong. It didn't suggest any editables, right? But you can say, look, this design is not fitting um, the, the briefing which I sent to you. And I think you can definitely do better by doing this and this and this, right? So it's not something where you attack person on personal level and say, you, you made me angry because you did a shitty job but you actually give a proper feedback. So it's not about sugarcoating or making everything very cute and, oh, I'm so sorry, I just need to, like, your, your work is amazing, but, you know, this type of all the blah, blah feedback, but actually giving the feedback directly to the person on spot and not waiting for years. This is something which I find hard to do, and I teach my team to do that too, um, while also on the other side, the other two ways, are about accepting the feedback, so accept it, right? So accept it or disregard it, it's up to you. Whether you implement it or not, you don't need to please everyone, uh, but appreciate it. So that's uh, definitely something which it takes time. I cannot say to you that it's exactly how we run our team, um, but I definitely try to practice it more with my team to actually give feedback on spot. And the other big learnings which I did is uh, even more is transparency and open communication, which we already had. Yeah, but one of the things which they, the book suggests is you don't have a private conversations. I mean, you can have like your private conversation about, I don't know, trees and animals and your lunch you're going to get together. Um, but all the company conversations are public. So, for example, our Slack is structured in the way that we completely avoid DMs. So if you want to, if I have a conversation with my marketing team and I want to address my social media lead, Michelle, instead of writing her a DM, look, I think this post is needs to be fixed, blah, blah, blah. I always write this in social media channel where all the people involved can actually see it and be up to date. 
Yes, it's way more content for everyone to digest, but all of our team agreed that it's so much easier to stay on top of what's happening in the company and so much miscommunication is avoided, so so much time is saved. Um, and I definitely stand by this and I recommend this to every single entrepreneur or any everyone running the company because I started then noticing how it influences the company which don't have it and the other like folks we have I'm connected to and you can see how much time is wasted for nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then later needs to communicate internally. Yeah, and each other. <laughs> you need to say to someone like, for example, you know, like uh, I was giving this, this, this suggestion to my graphic designer. I was like, look, you can send it to me in private, but then I would want someone else to take a look at it. And then it's just like a lot of uh, back and forth for no reason. And it couldn't be solved in one message in common channel. Okay, sounds good. And since we are talking about the team, uh, about okay, how to collaborate and so on, uh, what would you say is the most important uh, skills or values that, you, that each of your team members should have? I, I know that we talked about that at the beginning, but maybe if we can go deeper like um, into this and say, okay, we value a part of attitude, we value, I don't know, people can write clearly or I don't know, something like that is, is something, uh, do you evaluate uh, when? I do, I do. We do also personality tests, super helpful. You guys do color tests, true color tests, it's so, so good. It helps you to put the people in the right position too and also understand the language they speak the best. Not in terms of English, German, but in terms of the, in the personality type. Um, look, I always try to see if the person is responsible. That's one of the most important things for me. Are you a responsible person? Can everyone in the team rely on you? Will you be the, another stone in our building or to hold the fun- fundamentals together? Or you're going to be a, a, a tree which is not even able to hold itself together and going to fall out, right? It's a bit of a weird example, but it's kind of makes sense if you think about it from the architectural perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, from another side, I always look into people passionate about impact. Like, if the person is not connected to our vision, the person will leave. Um, because this is not the easiest job to do, to try to, to, to change the world and to deal with so many stakeholders. If the people would say, well, yeah, it's nice, I just want to get something on my CV, then I always say, don't do that. Uh, because the dedication is what means for me attitude, right? Are you dedicated to, to do that? Are you re- will you be responsible and reliable to what you're expected to? Because we don't have here commanders. Our hierarchy is quite flat. We don't have, you know, like middle managers and stuff like that who are giving orders and allocating things. We do have, yes, like next to me, there are team leads to coordinate and to avoid the things. But as I said to you, all decision-making, I would want my graphic designer to participate as much as I want my program lead, who is one of the most strategic roles in the team to participate. And their opinions would be equally important to me. Um, So in this case, we don't have this. That's why I'm always trying to find an adult-minded person, meaning that they actually are not just here for fun. And it's not about age at all. I can tell you that I know people who are more than 40 and I would never take them in the team, even they have like years of experience. While I have someone who is 23 now in my team and he's one of the best team members ever worked with because there's dedication. There is the other thing which I value a lot, which is hard to understand in the beginning, whether these people are an extra mile people. I don't mean sitting more hours on the work, but thinking one step beyond. For example, right? I can just do this task, or it's for it's a startup scouting for situation we had. So he could just you know reach out to startups, but he then brought up he's like, wait, let's look analytically through all the startups we have as members, what they were pain point and why they joined, and then we can actually use it to communicate it. I'm like, oh wait, that's an extra mile, right? So you could just research startups and re- and reach out to them versus actually trying to be a bit more analytical. So this is the attitude which I was talking about, right? Are you dedicated? Are you willing to go extra mile? Are you connected to impact? Are you responsible, reliable? When people say to me, it's like, I have no experience in that, and but they click all the other buttons, I'm like, just come. We will teach you everything. I'm happy to teach you everything. Just come and, and just do the work. Of course, sometimes it doesn't pay off because people also blah blah people sometimes and I, I needed to ask people to leave because I invested so much time in them and they just like oh sorry changed my mind um, which was painful to me personally but I, it's it's a part of the game 
you know what you're doing. So I think this is the attitude which I'm looking in the team. And the is it easy to spot it in the interview? No. Uh, but it, it is easier when you ask them to give example of situations. And it does need to be a work situation. You ask them, hey, did you have an experience where you needed to step up and take extra responsibility? Tell me more about it and why you did it. And then people start sharing with you about it and you see these things. And it's a trial and error, an error. It's a gut feeling too, to be honest, which is not always winning for me, but it's back and forth. Uh, but I definitely recommend to, before you guys take, or girls guys, take um, anyone in your team, send them true colors personality test. There are four colors. One is gold, which is, uh, which is for more structured, organized people. Orange, which is more for, in, in a good way, impulsive, risk-taking, driven, um, very fast people. Um, the other one is more also creative. The green one is for analytical people who, who really make the decision based on knowledge. And the blue people are people who are people-driven. And based on these colors, you can see, oh, wait, I need someone for startup scouting. So I need someone who is structured because it's a lot of outreach and organizational things. And I need someone who is either analytical, um, so green, or blue, who is able to empathize with people and actually press the right buttons. So if it's someone who doesn't have, for example, one of the colors, maybe not the right fit, right? So it's not, of course, the final decision which I'm making it based, but it does help. And it actually then pays out correctly, which we noticed. So that's why we are not even joking about this in the team. Every time we look into our, our colors, we're actually also using this to communicate properly to the team members in the language that they will understand. Like, for example, if you will come to me as a, because I'm a gold uh, color, if you come to me with, hey, let's just do it, without any explanation of why we should do it, how we will get there, and things like this, I will freak. <laughs> Like this is so unstructured, this is a mess, right? So, uh, and vice versa, I cannot come to someone who is purely orange, who is all about fun and impulsive, with a very organized Excel. They will be like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, it's also an interesting thing of a people psychology, which helps you to run the team, definitely. Yeah, so you need to adapt depending on the personalities of each of the team members. Yeah, well. and you also then place the people in the right roles, right? If it's uh, you, you, Play on strength, that's what I'm always saying in the team. And it's one of the things I also learned from the book I mentioned to you with No Rules Rules, that it's all about talent density, the right people in the right position. And it's not like we're saying you need to leave the team. I'm always saying to the team members, you start there, but if you say it's not the right fit, you will start trying out some other function in the team. So that's why, for example, we have team members who have been already in three departments and only now found their true calling, which is wonderful. I'm grateful to have them in any place. Great, great. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so if people want to connect with you and know more about you, how can they reach you out? Very much reachable. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Sasha Liefman. I'm very reachable. You can just message me that you found it through the podcast. Um, any other social media, I'm also happy to connect. Um, and of course, if you're somehow connected or interested in impact tech space, we have four open positions now because we're expanding the team. So we're looking for investor relations manager to join our current team, partnership lead and our community manager to run our 500 plus network to make sure everyone is happy there. Uh, and potentially also looking for a communications lead to join our team. And it's one thing, but if you're a startup or an expert or if one or investor want to join, it's super easy. Just go on techtoimpact.com. Uh, sign up and we'll be happy to get you on board and join our global network <laughs> thanks Sasha for all your comments today and all your insights and all success to you and Thank to Tech you. to Impact team in 2022 as well and so all the best <laughs> Thank you Ricardo pleasure being here <laughs> so see you <laughs> bye Thank you very much for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights. Feel free to share with your friends and looking forward to seeing you next time.